Hello, I'm Howard. Welcome to the Nice 320 Friday show podcast. It's back. The show that is generally sympathetic towards Liverpool. As how could they compete last night when the grass was that long, the mist was in their eyes and the temperature two degrees below the optimum for long balls. All we ask for is a level playing field. Yeah, it's back. We're reviewing the electric return of domestic football and an entertaining romp at the Etihad. As City beat Liverpool 3-2 to set up a quarterfinal versus Southampton. Uh, to discuss this, plus transfer chat and a look at what may lie ahead for City in a huge pre-Christmas show, I'd like to be joined by some big hitters that could knock Fabinho over with just a withering glance. It's Asan Lloyd and Stay. Uh, good morning, Asan. Morning, Howard. How you doing? It's been an eventful morning. It's walking wounded at ninety-three twenty times at the moment. Trapped a nerve, have you? No. So my whole back lower back had locked up apparently yeah um, and that had inflamed a ligament so i woke up this morning in absolute agony and then went to an emergency osteopath who went it's not good when doctors go oh when they make that sound then you know whatever you've done is just not good um but he uh, was really good he worked wonders, and now I'm not in agony. Although, um, I'm going to feel like a proper radio presenter because I'm going to have to do at least part of this podcast standing up. Oh, wow. <laughs> commitment to the cause. <laughs> uh, speaking of walking wounded, I mean, it's coming to something when I'm the fittest member of the 9320 yeah, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time to just <laughs> call it a day and just give up? Lloyd... <laughs> Having said that, I've got a big bruise on the side of my head from when I headbutted a sink last week from fainting. So, uh, and I'm still the fittest member of the 9320 podcast. <laughs> Lloyd, how are you doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, I obviously ha- haven't been around much recently, but I've been focusing on trying to do a lot of physio, look after my leg. Um, but yeah, no, I'm. I'm. I'm good, mate. And hopefully. <laughs> Someone who hasn't had any disasters this week. Uh, good morning, Stay. Hello. I was going to say, I don't have a bruise on my head. I'm the fit member of the night. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm happy to pass the baton over to you. Just try and take it easy this week. We'd, yeah, we're relying on you now for, yeah. for output. I've, I've, yeah. I've got a little bit of a sniffles, and that's about it. So I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, looking forward to Christmas. Yeah, we should say uh, get well soon to Joe as well, who's under the weather. Uh, we'll hopefully be doing a fancy football podcast as that's coming back of course uh, once he's uh, fit and raring to go so stay you're just around for about 20 minutes uh, before you have to head off and do your duties I've over the got festive season family so. stuff yeah yeah but dad it's duty. um I've, dad duty and I've also I've just done another pod so it's coming out as well Premier League preview um but I can't resist a Friday show particularly just for Christmas yeah well thanks for popping in anyway uh, what's your plans then for the festive season you can't say Christmas anymore, you'll get thrown in prison for saying that. No, so. well, I've got... I, I have to go and see a football game on Boxing Day. It's compulsory. I just have to. And City mm. are playing. Wrexham were sold out. And they were sold out in, like, end of November. Wow. So I'm going to the crappiest football game imaginable because all the stats, all the logic says this is going to be a nil-nil or a one-nil. So I'm going to Wol- uh, Everton New Wolves on Boxing Day. Mm. I know. I don't know, though. Boxing Day, you know, I know it's not 1958 when there was like 72. (laughs) But Boxing Days, you can get some ridiculous scorelines. So that that should be good, that, yeah. Wolves Wolves could be better under, uh, what's his face? Lopetegui. Lopetegui. Yes. Yes. 
Really yeah. Yeah. Lloyd, uh, what are your plans then? So I made it down to the Shire um, last Sunday, so I'm in Wales at the moment, <laughs> um, and managed to get out of London, somehow got the train, which was very eventful. Um, the only one that was running in the country. So. It, was the, it was, yeah, there was a big sign above the train saying, this is the only train departing London today. Um, so yeah, I'm down here uh, until just before New Year and my two brothers are on a ferry from Ireland as we speak so they'll be arriving later today and then we'll be a full complement Excellent Hey San, your plans? Um, quiet one in Ibiza to be honest we did uh, we did all of our family stuff in, in December went to Paris been to Manchester seen everybody so yeah it'll be a it'll be a quiet Christmas Is there the such thing as us. a quiet one in Ibiza? It's always quiet between uh, Off-season, between October yeah. and, and May it's, uh, it's like a whole other world. Do you prefer it then? Oh, definitely, definitely. It's like it, it's why I, it, it's why I love it here so much because it's so quiet between really between October and and May. It's uh, it's just awesome. It's a great place to 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 think. Are you in the middle of the island? Yes. Right. Yeah, although the island's not really that big, do you know what I mean? You yeah. can be anywhere you want to be in 20 minutes. Yeah, cool. Shall we talk football then? Indeed. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yeah, Lloyd, uh, good to be back to domestic football. It's only been a month, perhaps mm. Perhaps feels like more. It's one of those things where it feels like a long time and no time at all. Yeah. I remember sat in the pub, us all drowning our sorrows after the Brentford match, uh, and yet it also feels like a lifetime ago, so... No, definitely. Uh, I know what you mean. It feels like feels like no time at all since I went to the Etihad to watch Ivan Tony score uh, score two against us and and lose just before the break. But it also feels like ages ago. Um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed the World Cup actually. I was, really wasn't looking forward to it. Kind of surprised me. Obviously, there were quite a few good games, but as soon as England went out, um, you know, obviously the final was amazing. Um, but was kind of switching back to thinking right when City on, um, and so yeah, I'm 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 very glad it's back. And there's something about this time of year, isn't there? When you know there's it's it's one of my kind of highlights of Christmas and that New Year period is just being able to watch like wall to wall football. Um, I mean, my missus is glad that we're not spending it together um, this this year just because I think she's already pissed off with all the World Cups you couldn't deal with me watching Everton Wolves <laughs> at 12 um, you know on Boxing Day so no I'm, I'm glad it's back and obviously last night really kind of wet the appetite didn't it which I didn't expect to be honest mm. Steve what about you what were you expecting from this game did, did it matter to you it was Liverpool or did you just want to see some players and watch some football I was expecting a glorified friendly. I was expecting goals, mm. um, but I really was expecting a glorified friendly and, and a lot of substitutions made and um, people, you know, not really knowing where you were, not being able to settle into the game as such. And it was completely opposite. It was an absolute frenetic, fantastic game of football, um, and both sides, you know, deserve credit for that. Um, really surprised me. Um, I think it. City and Liverpool will really benefit from last night because that was a full-scale battle. And then they go straight into, you know, the Christmas fixtures where, you know, teams such as Arsenal, for example, won't have that luxury. So 
it's all very well. Liverpool played a friendly against AC Milan, for example, but like, he just walked over him 4 1, you know, he just strolled it throughout. Whereas last night really primed both teams for what lies ahead. So it'll do both teams a world of good. And as for watching it as a, you know, spectator experience, it was a fantastic game of football. It was brilliant. And the quality was there. And there's a bit of rustiness from certain players. You expect that, understand that completely. Um, but I was really, really pleasantly surprised overall. Hey, Sam, yourself, were you surprised just how intense it was? Uh, I'm not going to dwell on this because, quite frankly, it's tiresome and I can't be asked. But, of course, City sent out, both clubs sent out this uh, please behave, you know, respect kind of email before the match. I fully understand why they did that. We said they should do after the the Anfield match. Though, of course, it was a box-ticking exercise that no one's going to take any notice of whatsoever. If you're going to sing stuff, you're going to do certain things, you're going to do it anyway. Were you, are you still worried about the toxicity of this match or did you think it just added to the occasion in a way <laughs> honestly i don't really i don't really care to be yeah. honest I, I think the two and fro afterwards though is just so tiresome isn't it because yeah but you 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 expect that certainly from from the liverpool side if they don't win a game you expect a lot of nonsense um yeah the grass was obviously not cut yesterday which uh which will have hampered their ability to uh, knock long balls into channels <laughs> but uh now look i, I had a feeling i, I said <clears throat> on the preview the big thing for me was having lost the charity shield having lost the subsequent league game against them uh, i found it very difficult to believe that we'd turn up last night and be flat particularly if you layer on top what what happened against Brentford, not necessarily from a result point of view, because I think you can always lose games of football, but if the performance isn't, certainly for City, we play at a level where standards are set very high, and if collectively they drop below those standards, then you expect a reaction. So overall, I I expected a reaction, maybe not quite that level in terms of, the intensity um, and the commitment and the quality because intensity and commitment is one thing, but there was a ridiculous amount of quality as well in our play. Yeah. Did you see uh, Klopp's back with his excuses? Do you see his actual excuse? To what I've tweeted what? out. I haven't about, yet. about Harlan being offside for that chance after 30 seconds. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> How is that relevant to what happened for the rest of the game? Oh no, it's it's just hilarious because he's about ten yards on the side. So, yeah, it's just good to, it's good. You don't get that with World Cup football. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> never change, no. you could never change. No, uh, well, I've got to stick with you, a Sam, because uh, you're claiming you got the team completely right. So you have claiming. To... <laughs> claiming. Has anyone vetted this? I mean, it is. I'm not it going is, back to listen. I think he did. Is, yeah. I was on the literally show, literally on the podcast. So it's yeah, not I've, like I've slept not since like then, haven't I? So. <laughs> a lot's happened since then. So I assume because you chose that, that was kind of a team you wanted to see. You were happy with the team, the strength Absolutely. of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I it just it made it made logical sense with a league game coming up next week that you'd get as many of your players that need to play next week into the side as you possibly can. Um, and that's pretty much how it worked out. I had a feeling that lad that we signed from Anderlecht, who I'm not even going to talk about his name anymore. I had a feeling that he, he wasn't going to be near it and, and he wasn't near it. And the fact that Rico Lewis gets in, it just, yeah, it was, it was, I was really pleased with the team because you want to see, for me, 
players like Rico Lewis and Cole, Pl Cole Palmer, you want to see them around a full complement of senior players to know what their level is. I think oftentimes young players get thrown into Carabao games where it's a completely scratched side and then it's very difficult to judge what their level is. But last night going into the game, I was delighted because I was like, right, there's a team that's strong enough to beat Liverpool and the two young lads that are in it, um, they get to show how good they are against proper opposition. Yeah, and uh, Lloyd, I think I overplayed the World Cup effect. Mm -hmm. uh, well, basically, this was how I saw things before the World Cup started, that it would be carnage and it would be really problematic after it and that this was the worst timed game of all time. It wasn't. Uh, maybe having further games in the Carabao Cup now, maybe. But Pep had a point in a way that those that played in the World Cup are actually fitter than those that didn't. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, if you've uh, if you've not kept your conditioning up to like a match standard, then it, I think it's natural you'd, you'd lose that. And it's probably only five percent, really, isn't it? But um, you know, Harland and and Mares, etc. They would have been in the gym. They, I'm sure they'd have been doing the warm weather training. But like you said, with the the point at the top about Liverpool's friendly to Milan, it's actually competitive football that keeps you keeps you in nick. Um, yeah, it's been weird with the World Cup because, you know, I think what I was worried about is every player is a different story. You know, they'd come back in, it would kind of affect players in different ways. But I think actually we were quite fortunate in that quite a lot of our players, key players went out early. Um, and I think you saw from De Bruyne and Gundogan last night, I think they were desperate to get back playing for City rather than their national teams. Um, you certainly saw that in De Bruyne's performance. Um and I, I think that actually helped, um, to be fair. And, you know, we've obviously got, what is it? I think Harlan Mares, Palmer missed out. Obviously, Gomez, um, but he wasn't in the team last night, which I think is incredibly damning. But I echo what Asan said. I thought when I saw that 11, I was like, I am well up for this. Like, that's, it's almost the perfect blend of, you know, the, 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 all the senior guys that are ready to go plus Lewis and Palmer. That's, you know, that is literally what the doctor ordered for me. Pep said that Kevin Phillips came back not fit. Is that a concern for you? Definitely, yeah. I think he's probably someone that you would have wanted to see last night. Um, I mean, ideally from the start, but I think Spain were out earlier than England. So there's probably always a chance it was going to be Rodri, but really, you know, I think we, we're all hoping that he's going to be building on that bit of fitness that he's got for England and would be now starting to kind of challenge because I think we've only seen him in, what, two sub-appearances prior to the World Cup. So um, it is a concern. I didn't really, under I didn't really understand it either because Guardiola's not given any much detail. He's just said he's not in a condition, which suggests what he's ate a load of pork pies in Qatar. Mm. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit confusing. Oh, he's weak um, off, yeah. In a worse I don't condition. think it's conf I don't think it's that confusing. I think it was pretty pointed. I think if you look back to what Guardiola said before the game in the press conference in the embargoed section, he made a comment where he said some players will be fit and some players will be fat. Um, and oh, then really, I missed that. Yes, yeah, he said that in the embargoed section about how the, the kind of the condition of the players when they come back after the, the small break that they've had. And then if you look at the way in which he talks about Phillips not being available, it's pretty clear that 
he came back in bad condition, like just that's in terms really, of his that's really overall physicality. It is. It is. Um, if that is the case, and it's very difficult to, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on on Phillips at all, but I know Pep as well. Like the way that Pep said that, that wasn't oh he's got a niggle or you know nothing like that. That was he's not in the right condition to play. That's that's pretty damning. Definitely, Pep. Well, Pep's hung him out to dry, really, hasn't he? Um, he doesn't really do that very often. He's done it with Mahrez already this season, though, hasn't he? Yes. So I think it's such an unusual season. Guardiola is kind of taking it upon himself to change tack somewhat in, in how he kind of talks about his players. Mm. Mm. Well, point, yeah. Phillips just desperate to avoid playing against Leeds, perhaps. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> in a worse condition than the pizza munching uh, Jack Grealish, then yeah, he must be in a, a bad state. So I think take note, yeah, he sent that message out. So let's see how he responds. Uh, or maybe more will come to light we will see in the coming weeks because we need these players we need every single one of them so yeah. uh, he needs to be fit quickly uh, I'm sure he will because he's generally a very fit athletic player so we will see uh, Steve I felt that that first 10 minutes was like watching City Liverpool in reverse in that hmm. the intensity yeah probably could only have happened because it is City Liverpool and it is first of all this is the great rivalry in English football right now. It it creates games like this like no other can create. And this was a Carabao Cup game after the World Cup. No one knew what was going to happen. I don't think there'd been this intensity if it'd been any other team. City against anyone else, Liverpool against anyone else would not have been like this. But what surprised me also is how City just came out flying. Did it surprise you as well? Completely surprised me. I mean, first off, I have to say, you're not supposed to say, Howard, that this is the rivalry in English football. It's compulsory, apparently, to say, um, oh, this might just be. Or you have to always put a caveat. I noticed, you know, everyone says that about City Liverpool. They, they can't just come out and say, well, it's very, very obvious and undeniable that City Liverpool is the rivalry in yeah, English so football you, right now. It's so United Arsenal type, I mean. Yeah, exactly. But Keeps I, I us maybe thrown across <laughs> changing <laughs> rooms. <laughs> Down corridors, who knows? Yeah. Phillips is not going to relinquish his pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've just noticed a lot of people are saying, they always put a caveat now, and, oh, this might just be, as if it's a surprise somewhat. Um, yeah, the way that City threw out the blocks last night was exhilarating. It was brilliant to see. Uh, and it was a complete surprise. We created chance after chance. Great one for Palmer, great one for Haaland, of course, very early on. Um, all orchestrated by De Bruyne. De Bruyne's performance was possibly the biggest and most pleasant surprise of all because he looked so lacklustre at the World Cup, so dispirited. No reflection of, of course, on his ability or his his character, but he just didn't look himself at all. Um, and he just looked revived being in the City shirt last night. And, and that was, like I say, the, the biggest and most pleasant surprise for me. Um, Liverpool couldn't handle us. They were just trying to stay in the game. They were just trying to keep it at, you know, after 10 minutes at 1-0. They just wanted to just give themselves every chance and hope that the tide turned. They were fortunate. To, it was a good goal they scored, by the way, Liverpool, but they were fortunate to score it um, because it was all City. And, yeah, what really impressed me the most was the mentality of the City players last night, how they just threw themselves back into it. They had a point to prove. I mean, you said at the top, Howard, it was a long time ago, that Brentford game. And yet it was almost as if it happened three days ago and they were still really pissed off about it. So that was great to mm. see. Yeah. 
and you could put down those two chances missed. I mean, Harland, he didn't have to chip the keeper, though I understand why you were trying to. Callow was yeah. way out of position. Way out, doing yeah. Uh, yes, he was 10 yards onside as well, Harland. He could have just gone right, he passed it round him. Uh, Palmer's was worse in a way, but there's two players that haven't been playing in a World Cup, and I guess rustiness, he couldn't get his feet right at all, Carl Palmer, could he? Palmer just fell into it, didn't he? he yeah. Just- but it's rustiness in a way of, you know, when you've not played a competitive game. I mean, it seems like a lifetime now since uh, Erling Haaland last put a ball in there as well, which it it matters. And this game was quite useful, Lloyd, in that respect, you know, for allowing players like that, as well, along with the returning World Cup players, just to get some rhythm for next week. Definitely, yeah. And I think, you know, whilst they're, whilst they don't have the match fitness, they have got that freshness, Um which you know gives a slightly different element in that I think they would have been absolutely raring to go last night and obviously <laughs> De Bruyne was uh, I think that played out but um, I, I, I think that blend is quite nice um, but I, I do agree I think you saw in the first, literally in the first two minutes there we created two unbelievable chances and it they did fall to two guys who who haven't had that minutes and I think that showed Um the Haaland one surprised me because I was actually, I got lost in a Haaland uh, compilation goals uh, <laughs> about a week ago. And he, he's got it, he's not like Ronaldo R9, but he has got that round the goalie kind of finishing him. And he did quite a few at Dortmund. So when I saw him kind of go through there, I thought he's just going to faint and go around to the left because the goalie was so far off. But obviously he put the, went for the sand wedge and, <laughs> uh, bollocks it up um, would have been a good conversion in rugby um, shame it's the wrong sport but um, yeah no definitely yeah well I don't know 30 seconds was it 25 don't I think know. it was literally 20 yeah yeah I don't think anyone was Straight ready f- for a chance to come that quickly so uh, Ace I know the goal itself he it <laughs> scored with his studs the movement was sublime from Harland to pass there the cross of course from De Bruyne no further comment required, really. It's uh, Kevin De Bruyne. But he's capable of just scoring with any part of his body and meaning it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the f- the first thing I, I want to mention is just the mischance. It, it honestly, it put the heebie-jeebies up me a little bit because I, don't wa- I didn't want Haaland to get into a Liverpool mind frame of, oh, well, I've not scored against these. or You see what I mean? Like mm. I, I felt like you know, we'll come to it later, but I do think that in general, this squad does have a little bit of a, a Liverpool thing about them. Um, I'm sure they have, the, they have the same just because they know how competitive the games are and how tight they are. And that always makes them a little bit nervy. Um, but yeah, so to then see him get an even more difficult chance and just do what he did with it was, yeah, I mean... That's just that's classic Harland, and in a way, um, that's what we bought him for. I I know that there's a, a big, I know there's a big thing about his all round game. I know that how many touches he has is going to be a stick to beat him with in future. But I also think that from a purely City point of view, the key thing is that he scores in every game, whether he has a good game or a mm. bad game, and as long as he scores, we're all good. Yeah. Touch it tr- twice and score twice, then. Exactly. What does it matter? Uh, Steve, just before you have to head off, 
did we let him off the hook then, in a way? With that, the goal, was it weak defending? Does it matter in a game like this? Was it a nice move? Cavalio didn't have to move much to actually score. In a way, we did let them off the hook, didn't we, by allowing back into a game that we could already have had pretty much uh, nailed down. Milner's movement was really good, and but basically someone was was at miss there to let him let him kind of run into that space. Once he'd run into that space, then yeah, it was going to end up at Cavalier's feet, and he finished well. So it came out of nowhere. The goal, um, we were on top, and it was frustrating. But I've got to say, as, about thirty seconds after he'd scored, I was all right again. I thought, now we are going to win tonight. It, it, I just felt it strongly, you know. It wasn't a case of, ah, they're back into it now. It's mm. a case of, um, and I actually, a mate of mine put a bet on 7-2 City. <laughs> 200 to 1. Uh, he put a fiver on, I think, on 7-2 City. And he got in touch. And, and um, when it was 2-2, he started getting very excited. And I thought, I think we could wallop him tonight, you know. I, I was thinking it could be like a 5-1 or something ridiculous. Um, so when they scored, it was, of course, annoying and, of course, frustrating, but I wasn't overly concerned, I have to say. Mm. Lloyd, did it did it change the game for you? Do you feel that after that it was a much more even contest? should say late in the half. Obviously, Nunes has his chances, uh, but Ake, that, another sublime cross from mm. De Bruyne, probably the, better than the one in the second half. Uh, Gundogan, Glorious. Gundogan, of course, uh, well saved by the keeper, to be fair. Uh, but did it change the game, that goal at all? Or do you think City were pretty much dominant throughout? Yeah, it was it, it was weird. It was a weird game in that it was mm. quite like City-Liverpool games of the past where we control a lot of the ball, we control a lot of the kind of flow of the game and possession. But yet, they don't have that many chances, but when they do, they're very big chances and they really carve us open. Um, and that was quite strange. Um, I think a lot of it, though, came down our left-hand side, so Ake's side, um, and I think... Uh, I thought Palmer was really good last night, but I don't think he did a great job defensively, um, and when they got through a few times, I think a lot of it... Well, I mean, you saw with the Carvalho goal, like, I don't really blame Ake, but his positioning is a bit all over the shot. Laporte's kind of out of position, and then... Carvalho is just a free man in the middle of the box and basically taps it in, uh, which is obviously isn't great. But if that ha- no, I do think if that hadn't have gone in, we'd have still we'd have still found we'd have still found another one. Um, I thought we looked. What were you going to say? I just still wonder if Ake was preoccupied with Salah so much that you know he kind of wandered a bit. Uh, though he generally had a great game. Uh, yeah, could explain that equalising, yeah. which, which is fair enough. Being preoccupied with Mo Salah, yeah. Absolutely, and I, I thought, like, yeah, you're right. I thought he had a good game, um, and he's playing out of position ultimately. So you know, it's a bit difficult for him first game back to play up against Mo Salah. It's not, it's not the easiest uh, jump back in the pool, is it? But I think the the, the thing I really wanted to call out was I just loved Darwin Nunes' performance last night. Um, <laughs> I mean, that guy's that guy's kind of consistency in not hitting the target is is is. It's very enjoyable, uh, and I'm. He went to the uh, he went to the Raheem schools, uh, Raheem Sterling school finishing for sure. Oh, absolutely! He's just he's just such an erratic footballer. Like he's got he's got something because like he's very direct. He's got a lot of pace. You know that assist I thought for the Salah goal was really good. The way he carried it, 
But when Speed, he's in front of yeah. when he's in front of goal, like he's just he's he's just a very erratic player. Um, uh, I mean, fun to watch from from our perspective because you know, he goes through one on one and you're like, I think he's going to miss, and they don't, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, class, class, class. Um, but no, I just wanted to give him some props, and then obviously there's a, a, I love the tweets this morning, people saying. Guys, off, so off target, you can't even push Gundogan over. I mean, glorious, that was absolutely that glorious. Quality. I mean, what was telling for me was he dragged all three efforts. They were identical. He dragged them wide, and that mm. really tells of a player who's lacking in confidence. Because anyone, any striker who's in form, just hits a target. You know, and, and okay, they might go for a corner, but they hit the target every time. Even if you have to put it through the goalkeeper into the net, he dragged. And, and for me, that's like, yeah, that's a player who just does not believe in himself right now, um, which is a surprise because he has actually started scoring for, um, for Liverpool. But last night was ace. It was just so funny to see. I think that's just his level, you know, Steve. I think that I'm not sure that he's ever in his career been a prolific finisher or a prolific goal scorer. Mm. I think if you look at his goal scoring record over his whole career, it's only the last 18 months in Portugal that he'd even added a level of goals and that was in the Portuguese league. So the, the kind I guess the transition was always going to be relatively big. Um, but you know, I, I'm going to be honest and maybe it's because I liked him before he signed for Liverpool. I do think there's a player in there. I, I do think that, you know, you you look at, you look at the problems that he does cause city and you have to say mm. if he could finish, he'd be, he'd be a fucking dangerous footballer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guarantee he'll have a purple patch where he can't stop scoring, but he'll also have a patch where, yeah, I think confidence-wise, nothing will happen for him. And mm. he'll, he'll have patches within games, and I'm just not sure that's enough for a team with aspirations of Liverpool, to be honest. Like if you he's, don't, if you don't know what you're going to get, he's got something, but I just don't think he's a hundred million pound footballer. No, but he's, no, he's, he's a, not. He's, he's not a title-winning striker. Like not. Not right now. Maybe in no. three, four years' time, he will he will develop into that. But right now, without disparaging some other mid-table clubs, he looked more. He looked to me. He looks more like a player who should be playing for West Ham or for the yes. more of a mid-table team because he's he's got talent. You can see he's got talent. He's got the the physicality to play in the Premier League, but that just the pure quality, the technical ability, the 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 smell of goals. It's I wonder if he's got that or not. Um, lads, I would love to denigrate Liverpool players till the cows come home. You know I would. <laughs> but I have to we'll do it for you. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to wish everyone listening a very Merry Christmas and you guys too. Merry Christmas to you, yeah, Steve. Same to you. Thank Merry you for, uh, yeah, all thank the best you for, for a yeah, year of, of wonderful contributions. Yeah, it's been fun all along the way. Um, all the best, everyone, and see you soon. Yeah. See you soon. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Yeah, what I was going to say about obviously he was off he was offside for that chance when he hit the post. I don't think he was offside for any of the others. Like that no. second half one, I think Rico Lewis way on the other side of the pitch was playing him on side. Uh, I think this game and circumstances was the perfect storm to produce a classic match. Yeah. So in that it was Carabao Cup coming off the back of a World Cup. But it was City Liverpool, so they had to give it their all. Mm. But there was also rustiness there in that some of the defending from both sides clearly wasn't up to scratch. Some of the finishing wasn't up to scratch. 
and there was needle from the on the pitch and off the pitch. And all in all, that's all you can say about the match. It was an absolute belter, and City were the better side. So I'm pretty happy. With that in mind, if I'm right about all that, Lloyd, is it fair to say that City's ropey defending at the time and the chances Nunes got doesn't really matter? Because we're coming off, of course, the last game was Brentford, mm. but that's a long time ago and different circumstances. Does it matter? Are you concerned about anything in this game? Not really. I think, you know, if we if, look, if we conceded those kind of chances in a Premier League game, then I think it's a different conversation. But I'm with you. Like last City Liverpool games are very much of their own. And I think last <laughs> yeah. night last night was even more an example of that for all the reasons you've just said. Um and it was a you know, it was a bit of a makeshift back four from us. Um I, I can't imagine that back four have ever played, you know, a game together as a four before, probably. Mm. Um so I'm not I'm not that concerned. I think um you know, I think you're always gonna you're always gonna concede chances to to Salah, Nunes, Liverpool. You know, they're just they're just a very kind of direct creative team and that is the team more than any that causes us problems. So I have been a little concerned with our defending at some in some, you know, Prem games, particularly I think the second half of the first bit of the season. But I I'm not looking at last night going, Oh, I'm worried about Wolves. I'm worried about Leeds, sorry. Yeah, remind her who didn't start the match. Kyle Walker, John Stones, Chow Cancelo, Jack Grealish, Edison, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, uh, Julian Alvarez, of course. Uh, I've probably missed some players that weren't even in the squad. Edison. Yes, Edison, Kevin Phillips, obviously. There's a lot of other players. <laughs> a lot of other players still to feature. Uh, it was a pretty strong... Sergio Gomez. I skipped him. <laughs> <laughs> on the list of substitutes, yes. I, I don't know why. It was uh, Ruben Diaz, of course, who sadly now might be out for up to a month. I'm sure we'll come to that later. Uh, so, so many players and you know, options. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't bad, all things considered. Hey, Sam, let's, let's talk youngsters then. Uh, Cole Palmer, your thoughts? Perhaps live during the first half, but how impressed were you with his performance? Excellent. Maybe one of the best. Um, well, I, I I don't know how many sort of high level opposition matches he's played, but I mm. just overall I was really impressed with with his performance. I think I saw I, in the first half. I strangely I saw some uh, and at halftime I saw a few kind of a few people saying that he'd been really disappointing, and in one of my group chats, uh, one of my mates was like, you know, Palmer's been average and. I just didn't see it like that. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I I just think that if you if you look at if you look at what the job is out there in that position, the job is to one you can't you can't lose the ball in dumb ways and mm. and create transitions. And he didn't really do that. I thought that he held the ball really well. And then in terms of what you do with the ball, well, you've got to try and find players and you've got to try and find spaces and you've got to have the right movement. And I think the movement was there, which is shown in the chance that he misses. Um, I think he was okay, not amazing in terms of the the final action, whether it was a cross or a shot. Um, but he did put a few dangerous crosses in as well. And I just think overall, the big thing for me with when you put a couple of kids in a in a team like the team like last night, in a game like last night, the big thing is, 
does he stick out as a player who shouldn't be playing in that team? Does he look like a kid playing with men? Mm. And that's really not the case. And we've signed players in the last four or five years for big transfer fees who come in and you watch them for three, four months and you go, he looks like a fish out of water here. So no, I think, I think, yeah, I didn't want to name him. Okay. <laughs> I did it for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I just, I, I thought he was, I thought he was really, really bright and really good. And it bodes really well for the rest of the season for me. And final thing, he's not a left winger. Mm. He doesn't have the, uh, he doesn't have the, 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 the kind of explosiveness over, over short distances that Foden has. Um, and so it's very difficult for sticking him on the left wing is a little bit like sticking Mares or Bernardo Silva out on the left wing. It's, there's a reason why Bernardo and, and, and Mares never, or I mean, I think they're between them, they probably played three games uh, on the left-hand side of the front three. And there's a reason for that. So I think it speaks volumes about Palmer's versatility that he was trusted for, for over an hour out there last night. Yeah. According to SofaScore, uh, 29 mm-hmm. out of 31 accurate passes, 94%. So... I think there was a period during the game where generally the team faded, i.e. we weren't cutting apart the opposition as much in that second half after those two very quick goals uh, that he was a part of, but you can't just put that all on him. Yeah, I was was pretty impressed. Obviously, he's got developing to do, Lloyd. I'll let you have your thoughts as yeah. well. He's got development. He's got a fi- you know, the finish. Again, that finishing off moves and having more end products I guess is always part of a, a player in that sort of place in that part of the pitch but generally there was a lot to take from that performance wasn't there? Definitely yeah I mean I've been, I've been very impressed with Palmer I think this season when we've seen him I think he's grown into it kind of with every performance I know there's been a big kind of gap in the middle with the World Cup Um I think you know the, the the real disappointment for him is I think that injury last season came at a really bad time. I think he was beginning to really build some momentum, um, and I think would have played a lot uh, as has kind of you know been touted by by Paul and other other journos kind of from January onwards last year. But I think the thing that really stands out to me, and it kind of builds on something that Asam was saying before, and it's and it might sound strange, but I think people will know what I mean, is. You know, we haven't maybe got the big moments yet with Cole. I don't think we've seen that many goals or assists, but I don't think you, I, I, I don't think it's fair to expect that necessarily at his age. I think the thing that really impresses me though is when you watch him, he does all the simple city mm. like number eight, number ten, keep the ball. He does all this that kind of stuff really well, and I think the thing that really, like, like I say, really impresses me is often receives the ball in a really tight space with two or three defenders around him. And he just takes one or two touches that, that for me, as someone that you know has played a bit of football, not to a, a good standard at all, I look at that and I go, how's he, how's he thought of that and how's he come out of it with a ball? And he just like appears back in space and then you know makes the right pass. He just makes a lot of very good decisions. And that's not necessarily a given when a young player comes into the team, particularly when it's as kind of complex and as structurally complex as City. And I think he's got all of that stuff there. And I think when you have that, the the extra stuff I think the goals the assists the the arriving at the right time I think that stuff will come and in a way it's, it's being able to like Asan said kind of fit as part of the glove that is probably the the harder thing and like you know I know he didn't want to say Grealish but we have signed players in the past where you know someone's come in and they just they do look like a sore thumb and you do not you do not get that with 
with Palmer. Um, so I'm very happy. I think the the other stuff will come, and people might say, "Oh, well, the goal, the assist—that's the hardest bit." But I think actually, when you've got the ability to be able to kind of synergize with your teammates, you're on the same wavelength. You're 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 making the correct decisions. I think with that continued body of work, the other stuff will come. Mm. It needs game time and then rhythm. Yeah, I think we'll come with it. So rhythm soon come, perhaps when he gets more time Very on the good pitch, hard. stay fit. Sorry, I'll edit that out. No, I won't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Asa, Rico Lewis, 18 wow. years old. Wow. The the floor wow. is yours. Uh, did some, yeah, not just like he's a kid, you know, and he's, he's, he does all right, he can control a ball. He's obviously... Obviously, he's got the energy and the the desire as a young, you know, a young footballer to when he gets to that pitch, he gives it his all. But you know, he's doing like the tactical stuff now. He's going inverting and City, of course. We talked about defence three versus three at the back against Liverpool at times is very risky, and you know, it did lead to a few Nunes chances. But he was inverting and making a you know doing that fullback thing that Pep wants his fullbacks and dropping in. Going in field, becoming a back four. Yeah, wow. What do Demanding you... the ball. Yeah. One of the, probably the, the thing that I like the most about him is he's looking at senior players and demanding the ball and then bollocking them when he doesn't get the ball. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that the the kind of, the consequence of that was count the number of times that he's given a ball in a really tight space with three Liverpool players around him and he just it doesn't panic so composed so intelligent um just uh, uh, unbelievable genuinely genuinely considering the tempo of the game from minute one considering the fact that he was playing in an area where he had to deal with liverpool's arguably their most dangerous player um it was it was just an incredible performance i think the name that popped into my head for the first time last night was Joshua Kimmich. Um, I think that Lewis is different, but I think that he's beginning to show the same maturity in football brain that Kimmich showed at a really early age. And, and we saw what, what Guardiola did with Kimmich. So um, I'm, I'm really, re- I just feel as though he's a player who now absolutely can't have his pathway blocked because you can't put in a performance like that against Liverpool and then have the club go and buy AN or the fullback and go, all right, mate, you can go and chill for another two or three years. I think that you have to give him the room in the first team to, to develop. And that, you know, it's something that it's an age old thing that we've, we've often discussed that, we're much more forgiving of kids in general who come through the academy. So if one day he plays a competitive game and he makes a mistake and we concede a goal, we'll be a lot more forgiving of him than we are of Walker and Cancelo or even Sergio Gomez. I think there was one, there was a tackle on Salah's second half that screamed Cancelo, you know, I don't want to drag Cancelo into this, that's just screamed that if he hadn't made it, Salah was so close to getting past him. And it was mm. only like near the halfway line, but he would, I think he would have been through on goal if he hadn't made that tackle. And it's the sort of thing that Cancelo wouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, in that state, I was just thinking back to the, the nightmare at Anfield. And it's like, 
And the way he just dealt with Salah at times as well, just, you know, like waiting patience, nicking it off him. Uh, is it a weird thing to say, Lloyd? He reminds me of... He also helped pin back Robertson quite a lot. Does he remind you of Robertson? Not as a footballer as such, but just that desire to go up and down, his energy and the way he plays. Is that a bizarre comparison? But 18, year old, 18 years old, he always he does always... He already looks like a you know a senior player who's mm. who wants the ball, as Asan said. You know the guy that he reminded me of actually was different foot, Ashley Cole. That's right. that's the vibe I was getting in there. Nice. Um I thought I think defensively he looks more assured than Cancelo. You know, I've not seen loads of him, obviously, but he was up against Salah in a lot of one v one situations last night. He didn't get, he didn't win all of them, but I thought overall he dealt with Salah really, really well. And I think probably better, like you said, Howard, than than Cancelo would have. Um, but I think he's got a little bit of everything, which is which is really what you want in a modern fullback, and that's why you know Robertson rightly has been kind of glorified as probably one of the best you know fullbacks in the world because Robertson. He can do the dirty, he can do the dishes, he can do, you know, the the kind of gritty defensive stuff. He's got good positioning. But then on the ball, he's very secure um, and he's got the energy to get up and down. And, you know, he provide, he's able to provide assists and some quality in the final third. And I think we've seen, you know, from the flashes we've seen from Lewis so far, I think we're seeing a bit of everything, which I think is is really, really encouraging. Um, you know, there, like Aeson said, there are a lot of situations where... Akanji gave him the ball, it was very tight, could have easily given it away, makes the right decision, comes out with the ball. Um, I think, there are, again, a few situations where he's penned in um, up against Salah and like Carvalho in, kind of in the first half, again, kind of doesn't panic, comes out with the ball, makes a good clearance. I think there's just a, there's a lot of maturity to his game. And obviously, I think the standout moment was that kind of foot race with Salah in the second half where matched him, you know pace for pace and, and obviously kind of got there and made the challenge uh, and you know he, he even had uh, he even had the moment where he gave Robertson some needle so you know what more what more could you want from a performance um, but no I, I really thought that was a that was a statement performance from Lewis I think that was very much you know I'm ready like, I can play in this team and I think with the problems that we have at fullback at the moment you know, that couldn't really be coming at a better time. Hey, Sam, how telling is it that Pep picks him out afterwards to effusive praise for him? Not something he does no. all the time. No, really jumped out at me. Like, the fact that he didn't go for the line that, oh, he can improve, the fact that he just went with, wow, that was amazing, more or less, that shows the level of, of performance that, that Lewis put in. He called it man of a man of the match performance. Yeah, and you know, in in a weird way, I get it. I completely get why he. It, for me, obviously, De Bruyne does De Bruyne things, but we're a bit complacent to that. I mean, Kev, that performance that Kev put in last night is a performance that he has put in multiple times for City. Rico Lewis's was more eye catching because because of the level of the opposition and because of the level that he himself played at and because of how well he fit into everything else that City were trying to do, it 
just was very, very, very eye catching and very impressive. Hmm. Let's talk Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, played a man possessed, perhaps. Let, I'll just uh, find the stats. Uh, let's see, hundred percent shot accuracy. So there was that chance late on. I think Fabinho was stood near the line. Mm. Otherwise, keeper didn't even move. Eighty-six percent pass accuracy. Sixteen crosses, five chances created, four times possession, one final third, which is the most of anyone. Two big chances created, two shots, two assists. He was slightly sloppy, like I guess everyone else on the pitch was at, at some points. But overall, that was just yeah, even after all this time, you just like some of the stuff he was doing is like, oh come on, Kevin, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And as mm. I said, the 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 assist for the winner was just a beautiful cross but I think the one in the first half that Ake had saved was probably even better I agree yeah uh, that was probably an easier chance for Ake as well he just kind of got it mm. all wrong didn't he um, I mean crazy performance from Kev like Asan says we are a bit immune to it um, you know he pulls 9 out of 10s out like then most people, most players is seven out of tens. That's just the standards that he's at, um, and I think we do take it for granted a bit. But it did stand out to me last night because, um, you know, the guys haven't played together for a month. But I think particularly when you contrast it with just how off the pace he looked for Belgium, um, and you know, I think there are a lot of reasons for that, and. Um, I don't think his comments in the media probably helped, but I think you really saw last night um, Kev was just happy to be back playing in his happy place, which is with City. Um, and he really, really, you could tell he really was up for it last night. Um, and like like we've said, I think that that game actually was almost almost the perfect game to come after the World Cup. And, I don't, you know, we'd have never have said that before the World Cup, would we? We'd have all been like, oh my God, we got Liverpool straight after the World Cup that's an absolute nightmare but I think you see in like De Bruyne's performance last night that really gets the kind of the juices flowing and the fire under the under the belly so yeah very impressed hope he can continue that forward because I think ultimately when he plays like that it, it, it makes it very hard for you not to win a game um, uh, a bit like you know when Haaland's putting them in the net like he has been at the beginning of the season so if, if Kev can replicate that then we shouldn't have too many problems in the next few games. Hey, Sanna, Kevin De Bruyne, Haaland is just a dream partnership in a way. I think Kevin De Bruyne's surpassed his assist numbers from last season already, which kind of speaks for itself in a way. Got someone to pass it, hasn't he? Mm, exactly. Someone that can finish their dinner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rodri as well. Did he stand out for you? What you versus Fabinho? No competition, really. I think that that midfield three, Gundo, Rodri, KDB, I think those three played at a really, really, really high level last night. Like, they, they were close to their best, in my opinion. Um, and that's why, even though we conceded two sloppy goals in many respects, the game was never out of control. They never really felt like a period. I feel as though whenever we've played Liverpool, there's always a period where you feel as though you've got to suffer. And I don't think Liverpool really made us suffer last night. 
Hmm. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, ultimately, City were the better side. But if you look at Rodri, 100%, uh, 100 accu- accurate passes, 97.1 pass accuracy, one key pass, uh, nine accurate long balls. I saw people criticising him being unfit in the first half, but hey, that's Twitter for you. Six ground duels won, four tackles, two clearances, two aerial duels won, one big chance created. Uh, no, surely he's got an assist. Yeah, one assist as well, obviously. Uh, it looked pretty damn good to me. <laughs> and probably wasted being in central defence for Spain during the World Cup. Mm. Yeah, um, I-, I thought he was good last night. I um, thought it was just a classic kind of modern Rodri performance. Um, you know, just... you. Always, I-, I always feel comfortable when Rodri's on the pitch or when he's in those positions. I never feel... You know, like in the first six months, nine months, you've always felt a little bit like he's going to get burgled. Someone's just going to nick the ball off him or he's going to get his positioning wrong. But and I never got that last night. I, I didn't see any people bagging him. Um, but I actually enjoyed I enjoyed his performances at centre-half for Spain. I thought, um, thought it was quite interesting to see him play there. And he obviously showed he can do it. Um, if, if we were in the... The, the season of two, three years ago when we were playing mm. Eric Garcia and Fernandinho, that could have been quite useful, but uh, we've got five centre-halves now, so I don't think Pep will need to do that. Um, but no, I, I, I didn't... What, what were people saying? Were people saying he thought, they thought he looked unfit, did you say? Oh, people making comments after 20 minutes of a match, the first one after a World Cup, so don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. On Rodri's job's not really to run, though, is it? I mean, the beauty of Rodri is that bit like Busquets he kind of he reads where to be and then you know it's all kind of efficient movements isn't it um, but ultimately what are people expecting from this game it's a unique circumstances anyway ultimately as a whole you know leave Rodri out of it this was a good team performance was it not I thought that I mean yeah. I, I think any I think any critique of of the overall performance is wildly misplaced because quite frankly if that had been the first leg of a Champions League knockout tie, we'd be sat around going, that was an amazing performance. Like the 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 level of quality that we showed at time, the way in which we handled 90% of what Liverpool did, the way in which our players played both collectively and individual was just individually was just a really high level. I don't see I, I have no I've no complaints about last night. Even if you, you know, you can pick, you pick the bones out of the goals, but they all require one Liverpool player to do a 10 out of 10 thing. I think, yeah, the first goal, Matip's pass to Milner, it kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't think, I think as the play Takes builds, a surprise, it? Yeah. yeah, but also like, it's one of those where it's not like as the players building, you go, Oh my God, there's a goal coming here. Uh, I think that two things happen. I think that the ball goes in, uh, when the ball goes into Milner, um, Nunes makes a run. So Laporte is, Laporte is marking Nunes and then Nunes makes a run away from Laporte and away from Milner and Laporte naturally, um, goes towards Milner and then that leaves Nunes. And so Akanji basically vacates the space that Carvalho's in to go and cover what um 
what Nunes is doing, and that leaves Carvalho free. And that that's football. You know, if you if you've got really good players and you put a move together and you play like that's the thing with City as well, that we play so much on the front foot and so progressively and in such an attacking fashion that there will be moments where you will be able to to pick your pick your way through. And I just don't I didn't feel uh, I didn't feel critical of of anybody in terms of the individual goals themselves. I just think that's that's part of playing against high level opposition. I do think I am interested to know what you both think. I do think that somehow psychologically we definitely when we score against Liverpool I I feel as though we're always at our most vulnerable after we score against Liverpool and it's a collective thing and I don't really know why because I think that with the first goal I feel as though we're a bit deep we invite them onto us and then with the second goal I think we're a bit we're pressed a little bit too high and it makes that out ball a little bit too easy. But certainly um, in recent years against Liverpool, I felt as though once we score, we have a little <gasps> moment where we're not quite sure what to do next, which is weird because we don't have that against anybody else. I don't know. I'd have to check. That's the, a really, that's a really good point. I think I have, you know, yeah, have to check the results on that. There's the, well, I can remember one. Do you remember when we played the two, two at home? Hmm. Um, in the league, I think it was in like April when it when Jota scored and Mane scored last season. Like as soon as we scored, they just pegged us back, didn't they? Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, there was a half time break before Mane's though, but again, starting second half. Yeah, there is. I don't. It's strange. We we haven't won any of our previous five have we, against Liverpool, but they're all different types of matches, and we're still they don't beat us at the Etihad do they for quite a while I don't know when that is so but yeah there probably is that I mean both teams have weaknesses against either team that's this rivalry I would say yeah but I think for I think for me um where where I there's just some it's it's almost like the the unquantifiable thing that makes mm. sport what it is because it feels like it felt like after we scored the second goal, suddenly we were open. And I don't know, it just, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know where it comes from. But then at the same time, you know, Alex, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain can play that pass another hundred times and he's never putting it where he put it for Nunes last night. I mean, that was just, it was a ridiculous pass. If, if De Bruyne had done that, we wouldn't be talking about the striker. We'd be talking about the pass. I think it re- De Bruyne played a De Bruyne played a similar pass before the uh, before the World Cup break for a goal, and we were all just purring over over the quality of the ball. So, it's, I guess it's just it's just one of those. It's frustrating. I think the reason I'm frustrated is because, or not frustrated, but the one sort of thing that maybe you could view as a negative is a little bit too often for my liking, we've been comfortably the better team against Liverpool over 90 minutes mm. and Not the game has still felt on a knife edge. And, and last night was very much one of those that if that game finishes, I don't know, five, two or six, two to city, I'm not surprised by it, by the amount of possession that we have, the amount of shots on target, we have the, the quality of the play. I mean, you look at Palmer's chance and Haaland's chance in the, in the opening part of the game. Well, that's, Two, another two goals on top of the three we did score that we really, really should have scored. So, 
maybe that would be the only slight negative that I would take from it, but it's only a it's only a sl- slight negative. I mean, when Mares is doing that, what he did for for his goal, KDB plays the the way that he plays. Haaland's goal is just exceptional and and pure Haaland. It's kind of churlish to moan. I think. I think yeah. The point is, we've drawn quite a few games against Liverpool in recent years where we have been the better side. Uh, one at Anfield, at least at least two at Anfield, I would say. Yeah, uh, two at Anfield. Two all at home to Liverpool as well. Mm. Yeah, it's just the uh, frustration in a way uh, that we haven't made it count uh, in some games. And yeah, you could easily have seen you know Nunes taking that chance second half, and yet again it'd be three all penalties. Oh, thank God we missed that. Uh, we didn't have that to go through that, even in the Carabao Cup. I don't want to experience penalties against Liverpool. And yeah, it would, you'd be saying the same thing again, wouldn't we? Why didn't we put this game to bed? But on this occasion, we missed as many chances, so it was a fair result and a fair win for City, I would say. Also, Lloyd, the joy of no VAR once more. It's nice, isn't it, knowing if a ball hits the back of the net, mm. whether a goal has or has not been given. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly given some of the decisions in the World Cup. Um, yeah, I watched uh, watched some uh, like League One and Championship footy the other day. Um, it was exactly the same. Yeah, you just having that clarity that like, oh, they're offside or oh, that's not going to get pulled back. It is nice, isn't it? I, I know you're yearning for the old days, Howard. Yeah, always big, big VAR supporter when it came in, and I think it has its use. But it's worth saying it, it's a different experience without it. So anyway, everyone's got their own views on VAR. They don't. We don't need another discussion. Asan, any other players you want to talk about? Uh, Ake at left back had more shots on target than Liverpool. So uh, pretty good performance from him. He has been consistent for a while. And um, yeah, anyone else you want to mention? Laporte obviously blown away by Nunes, looked uh, on his ass at times, but he was blowing in that run, wasn't he? He was yeah. blowing big time. Yeah, I've I've been there myself many years ago, <laughs> trying to chase after someone who's obviously well, quicker quicker than have, you. So you'd have the best chance of us three. So uh, you better <laughs> <laughs> right now. I've got the best chance of us three. You better get Definitely. your boots on, mate. Devastating, yeah, yeah to think. No. That, I- yeah. I, I thought Laporte, I think I think in the the overall performances uh, of the eleven that that started the game for me were excellent. I've seen a little bit of critique of of Akanji. I don't see why. I think he was great. I thought Laporte was great. Rodri was excellent. Um, Ake against Salah. I thought I thought Ake did a splendid job overall against against Salah. I think that he at times he can look like a centre back playing at full back, but overall i just i thought he was excellent and uh yeah no it was it was you know it's funny i'm one of those people you know i like big games i like the i like the derby i like the i like the games that really get under everybody's skin um and somehow going into the game yesterday i found myself a little bit apprehensive i I definitely Mm. found myself feeling like I'm a bit sick of this Liverpool team. And I think I am a little bit conditioned by too many performances that I feel we were the better team, but we didn't win the game. Uh, And so to be the better team over 90 minutes, to win the game, I'm 
just really, really, really delighted. And in terms of a warm-up for Leeds, well, it didn't look like a warm-up, not at all. It looked like a team that, you know, it looked like a league game or a Champions League game. It was played with that level of intensity, and you can't really ask for more than that. I mean, you saw the players at the end. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, I think, had to... <laughs> he was on his ass, wasn't he? <laughs> he was, yeah. That, that yeah, red-faced uh, that we've seen before. He was like... But they wouldn't have given... I don't think they've put that much effort in for some... I'm not saying they don't put the effort in, but they wouldn't have pushed themselves that much for some league games. No. Uh, it meant something. I mean, look at Haaland as well. He was absolutely... You'd think we'd just uh, won the Manchester derby in the league uh, as he... Yeah, left a dugout at the end. He has absolutely loved the fact that we're beating Liverpool. It is a huge, huge rivalry, whatever people say. And it means a lot to win a game against them. So, uh, your man of the match then, Hassan? I'm going to give it Rico Lewis. Okay, Lloyd? It has to be Lewis, but, you know, De Bruyne is very hard done by there. But I think that's just that's just kind of shows how ridiculous De Bruyne is that he does that and and he gets passed on but yeah I think Lewis for all the reasons we've said was the most eye-catching performance yeah right shall we move on or is there anything else you want to say about the game we beat Liverpool that's all that matters are we all are we all I was I was really happy with Riyadh's performance I have uh, to say yeah I kept meaning to mention that Better, last definitely. Time. really I felt it was typical Mars and quite underwhelming, but of course, when you can do things like that, then, hey. Did you think he had a good first half, Aysen? I didn't think he had a bad first half. Right. I think that a lot of... Um, a lot. Cole Palmer saw a lot of the ball in the first mm. half, uh, which felt a little bit... Whether it was planned or not, it felt like it worked. Um, so we actually... Yeah, we targeted Milner for once, which we probably should have done more at Anfield. Should have done the league. Exactly. exactly. I mean, you know, I'll say it once, like, what was Guardiola thinking in that league game? If you look at the performance <laughs> oh, last night, it's, I, should, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Yeah, it just <laughs> set me off again, Howard. I'm, I love Pep, but, triggered, but yeah, yeah. yeah, just badly triggered by, by that game. Um, no, I, I enjoyed Mahrez's performance. I feel as though, so it's it's a cliche, it's an obvious thing to say, but this next period, uh, the next eight weeks of football is going to decide what trophies we're playing for at the end of the season. So what you want now, now you want lads to look like lads. You don't want anybody turning up and being a bit powder puff. And I don't think anybody was a bit powder puff last night. D, has that changed how confident you are for the Leeds match, what you saw against Liverpool? I mean, I was, I'm, I'm always confident when City play, but massively so, having seen... <laughs> I just had this moment last night of going, hang on, don't peak too early. We've got, we've got a lot of football to play in the next, <laughs> in the next few months because there was just some, just some really sublime, sublime pass and move football. Does it help that the game's been put two day, back two days, though? I think it informs the game afterwards, of course, because then we've got no. a very small period. But, but you say they put everything into last night, and now they've got six days between matches. Exactly, it helps in the sense that I think they all got to run themselves into the ground last night, mm. knowing that they'll probably have a couple of days off, um, and then back into training. And just in terms of the type of game that you get against Liverpool, you know that it's similar to what you'll get against Leeds, even if Leeds don't have the quality of Liverpool. So. In in all aspects, it's uh, it's a very good um, 
Uh, it's a very good warm-up. We just, what I don't want is I don't want Lampard to get sacked. I don't want Wolves to beat Everton <laughs> and then Lampard to get sacked before we play them. would do it over Christmas, surely. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Because, yeah, we have to now get back to the Premier League and I've forgotten what's been going on. So, <laughs> <laughs> remind me, Everton are near the bottom, aren't they? I know, yeah. obviously I know Wolves are rock bottom. Yeah. So... Do we just pretend the last one doesn't happen and a couple of bad results and managers can get sacked? Or have they got a reprieve so. by nothing happening over months? So I don't think so. I think it's the, the Barclays, um, mate. Yeah, the fellow who uh, the fellow who writes about West Ham uh, at the Guardian, he wrote uh, a long piece just as the World Cup started that David Moyes has got two or three games. Wow! After the World Cup, that is the word out of out of West Ham. Um, and if you look at, you know. There's they've, been a they've they've, they've got signed United a, next, haven't they? Or? I don't know. I, I think don't, so. I don't know. They've got I don't United know got, got next. Forest first, I think. Yeah, United have got Forest and Liverpool oh, have got Villa. Um, West Ham have got Arsenal. Oh, Arsenal! That's yeah, I knew they had yes. someone away. It was quite tricky. Well, yeah, West Ham have got tricky. Arsenal. If you look at you know, for example, they signed Lucas Paqueta from 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 Leon, and he's a player who is a Champions League level player. Everybody's like, you know, what's he doing at West Ham? They've, I believe, that they've closed a deal for Luisao, a Brazilian defender, uh, who's very, very, very highly rated. Uh, you kind of look at the recruitment, and it doesn't feel like Moisey recruitment. And so... Aguero, of course, been injured all the time, hasn't he? So. Yes, yeah. I just, I feel as though maybe that's a football club that's pulling in a different direction mm. from David Moyes. Um, and that's where you end up in that situation where if you don't really, if you, if the owners are kind of looking for a reason, then then it's dead easy in situations like this. Yeah. How about you, Lloyd? City, Leeds, Brentford was how we finished off the first section of the season. Then there's a World Cup. You don't know who's coming back. Uh, thankfully, all the, the shrieking about the England players was <laughs> uh, allayed by them mm. coming back on the day we did the preview. We didn't know when we did the preview that they were literally about to start training that day. Pretty much everyone's back apart from Alvarez. The Liverpool match, in a way, is a reminder of just how good many of our players are. Has it changed your perception of you know, what I'm sure you would call a must-win game against Leeds? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably knowing me. Um yeah, I think it has because being completely honest, I thought we were gonna get beat last night. And that's because that was before I saw the teams, obviously. But just looking at what the team that Liverpool put out in the friendly against Milan and just knowing that they had a few more players back. And like you said, thinking that the England players wouldn't be involved at all, I thought, oh Christ, we're going to we're going to lose to Liverpool, which isn't the worst thing because we'll get knocked out of the Carabao, which we could probably do without. But then we have to go and play Leeds away, which over Christmas, Christ, they're going to be up for it. Players might be a bit all over the gaff, whereas obviously feel exactly the opposite after last night, um, and actually feeling pretty confident um, and yeah okay we're missing Alvarez but I think you know for Leeds missing Diaz as well I think you know for Leeds we can we can do without those two um, so I'm very much looking forward to it and actually I'm quite glad that we play 28th and most people play 26th I think it'd be quite nice to kind of watch how everyone else goes and then you know see what we've got um, 
afterwards. So no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, Southampton away in a cup, of course. Say some views on that. Just a, a middle of the road cup draw, perhaps. Any concerns that how problematic extra Carabao Cup games could be one, could be four, no. uh, will be in the January schedule. No, it's what is it midweek before we go to Old Trafford and after the Chelsea uh, Chelsea FA Cup game? I I, I can. I, I kind of view it as a half and half thing where you kind of rotate half against Chelsea and you rotate half against Southampton mm. in midweek and you'll be fine. I like winning trophies and I like winning games of football. And I think in a season like this one, that's somehow a bit weird, but also a season in which, you know, we have added Haaland, we have added Alvarez. It does feel overall like the squad is much stronger than in previous seasons. It feels like a moment where you can do something really special if you uh, if you have the right wind behind you. So, no, I didn't want to lose last night, but I also I didn't think that we'd lose necessarily. I, I felt as though going into it, we were we. It was a game I wanted to win. I know a lot of I know a lot of lads didn't want to win it. Stefan was pretty clear before the game. I want us to go out to the point where I might not even watch this, which made me laugh. <laughs> um, but I was the opposite. I was like, nah, I, I want to win this. Not just because it's Liverpool, but because I want the Carabao back. Well, the players wanted to win it, didn't they? So Obviously. Which tells you they're not too worried about extra games or whatever. Cause you, as soon as the game... I mean, I was conflicted in a way. It's like, come on, you know, you've got to have priorities. It, it's a brutal schedule. It always is every season. And we know what the priorities are, and this is fourth. You know, the FA Cup are still annoys me that we've thrown some semi-finals. But once the game starts <laughs> against Liverpool, for the players and the fans, there's no there's no debate to be had. You just want to win that game. No, absolutely. And, I'd and gutted, look, and I'd be gutted if we hadn't. I think the other thing in terms of the schedule is. Nobody has allowed us to, f- to forget the fact that Liverpool nearly won everything last season. So they got to the Champions League final, won both the domestic cups and lost the league on the last day of the season. It shows it's possible. You know, you, I, I feel as though overall our squad is stronger than Liverpool's squad mm. and they managed to do that last season and get that close. So I think I understand why there are moments in a season where you have to make decisions about who plays when and who plays when, when you've got three games in a week. But at the same time, I've always been of the belief that you win when you're a big club, you play every competition to win it. Well, if you've got time, should we finish off talking about the squad as we yeah. move forward? Yeah, absolutely. Because Pep likes a small squad, but when you look at, when I listed earlier who didn't start that match, it isn't that small when you've got the likes of Cole Palmer, Rico Lewis, you know, available for matches and showing that they they could be a part of this squad. It kind of puts a different slant on it. So Lloyd, I'm gonna start with you. We know deep down, Pep said it and you take comments like this with a pinch of salt. We know City are not going to be particularly active in the January window. Does that disappoint you or would you like to see us strengthen uh, in January. We need a fullback. Like, there's no, there's 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 no other way of saying it. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, Lewis solves. I think Lewis solves a big problem in that we've now. 
you know, because I think actually going back to um, the summer, a lot of people, myself included, were starting to pivot saying, I think actually we maybe need a right back more than we need a left back Mm. because Cancelo is the left back. We've got a lot of like secondary cover at left back from your Akezi, Laporte, etc. But actually Walker's the one that's not been fit, really struggled obviously with with fitness towards the end of last season and the beginning of this. And so it's probably a secondary kind of someone to help Walker out that we need. But I think Lewis has probably changed that, which is great. But we need, I think what's what's been shown this season is as good as Cancelo is, and he's you know he's probably still your first choice left back. I think we need we need just, we need an actual left back in the squad. It's a whole, and I think in a, in a few games this season, I think Brentford was probably the best example. But I think also Anfield, I think we've dropped points because we've had problems at full back, namely left back this season, um, and it is obviously the one uh, is the one hole in the squad that for whatever reason. The club just haven't addressed over the last few years, um, particularly frustrating given what happened with Zinchenko over the summer. And obviously, I know you know. Look, me and Asan both went pretty early on Gomez, but I think it's been proven proven right that guy is it's not an option for the first team. You know, he, he didn't play at all over over the World Cup. Guy kicking his heels. Should be absolutely nailed on to play last night, and he's and he doesn't play. I think that tells you everything. So, yes, we need a left back, but I, I'm sure we won't sign one. So, you know, <laughs> they're two very differing kind of points. Mm. Hey, so your thoughts, general? Well, I'm not as I'm not as colours nailed to the mast that they won't do a left back in January. I feel as though. It's one of those, I think my take is that they know they have to sign a left back. So the question is, do you sign one in January or do you sign one in the summer? And I think the Gomez thing happens last summer and they probably look at it and go, you know what, let's bring him in and we can muddle along for until January and maybe he turns out to be excellent, in which case, great, we've, we've saved ourselves some money. Now that it's clear that he's not going to be that guy, I it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they even started looking in January. And actually, overall, I think it's going to be quite a busy January market. And I think that in busy markets, you can often... The, basically, you can Things find yourself in a situation. Yeah. yeah, you just find yourself in a situation where somebody's suddenly available who you didn't think was going to be available, and you go, "Oh, well, you know what? That I'm going to do that. I like that as a uh, as a deal to do in in January." So, sorry to put in, but is it, will it be busy because of club needs, or do you think the World Cup will have a an effect on how clubs react to you know perf- individual performances in that tournament? I think it'll. I think it'll be a little bit of both. I think that what. Um, so let, I'm going to focus on the Premier League. I think that what the World Cup break allowed everybody to do is assess where they are, where they're weak, and where they're strong after 13 games. And the thing with the Prem that's really interesting is whether you're talking about the Champions League places, or you're talking about relegation, or you're talking about the title. 
nothing is nothing is decided there's not one team that you go well they're nailed on for top four or they're nailed on for the title or they're nailed on for relegation everything is open and because of that i sense that there's going to be a a pretty pretty active market in january um so yeah so it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me from from that side if city did end up doing a left back maybe gomez you know maybe they find a buyer for gomez maybe somebody in europe has seen gomez and gone oh i like him um in which case they can uh they can sign him i don't know if you guys have seen but spurs are being very heavily linked with pedro porro um who mm. has got a release clause but city have got a buyback and i'm reading i read in the portuguese media that city are considering triggering the buyback to bring him back and then flipping him um which he is a fullback um so that's more of a I guess an option life. although he's a right back um look i think my 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 thing which weirdly enough got a little bit reinforced last night is that i think that everything that guardiola has built at city he's built from the midfield it's all about your midfield options and the reality is that we've tended to have quite a few high caliber high quality midfield options and I, I'm curious as to, because I don't think like Gondo looks like he looks top. He doesn't look like a player that's done. If he had three years left on his contract, mm. I don't think we'd be sat here going, well, we need to ship Gondo out and, and get another midfielder in. Uh, but his contract is up at the end of the season and no decisions have been made. You've obviously got the, the situation with, with Bernardo Silva and his you know, unsettledness is the polite way of putting it. So I think from City's point of view, from Guardiola, Bagaristein, I think they have some decisions to make in a similar fashion to last summer with Sterling and Jesus and, and Zinchenko to a, to a lesser extent. I think they have to decide, they have to be in control of the situation. And what I mean by that is if you feel one of Bernardo or Gundo goes, you have to buy a centre midfield player of, of an elite quality, just of an elite quality. What you can't do is you can't do a, a halfway house like Calvin Phillips. You can't do a squad player that you go, oh, well, he might be good enough, uh, but if he isn't, we'll muddle along. I think I don't think Pep will will have that. So it's, uh, it's very much a, a case of, for, certainly for me, it's very much a case of City deciding whether they want to go for a midfielder who they're going to let go of and then yeah just moving early moving quickly i mean i, I saw actually it was either jack or paul ballas that wrote that um city had begun their normal transfer conversations that they would have in january they actually used the world cup as an opportunity to begin those conversations with agents and with clubs so let's see uh what comes from that in terms of more stories of who we are or aren't interested in one thing i'd like to throw over to you two i'm a touch concerned that we're i mean obviously the harlan thing worked out really well and it worked out in our favor we we got the player i'm a touch concerned with all the bellingham stuff that we are nailing our colors to one mast and i don't think that that is really the approach here i don't think that'd be right and i think you've got to i think you've got to have a backup just to put it really really well, bluntly and it has to be a high level backup 
We always put our eggs in one basket, don't we? So. No, we do up until the player goes somewhere else. And yeah. that, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, that there will well, come a point. Carella, yeah. It's like, after that, it was like, well, we'll just get Gomez as a, you know, a kind of potential type player, rather than thinking, right, let's look for another elite left-back. We need an elite left-back this summer. Yeah, and that's sort of my point, really, that mm. I don't think centre-mid is a position where Guardiola is going to muddle along. So I think that if, yeah. well, and it's a big if, one of Gundo or Bernardo end up leaving in the summer, then there will have to be a plan for a high-level centre-midfield player to come can, in. Can I ask Lloyd about that? Do we need clarity then on Gundo and, and Bernardo Silva? So... Take these reports, I think they may be from the Spanish press. So I won't say with a pinch of salt, I'd say with a mountain of salt because the drivel that comes out from their press is... Delivered yeah, by Salt Bay. Perfectly. Makes the uh, yeah the UK press look uh, sensible. Barcelona no longer interested in Bernardo Silva, which, if it mm. was true, would leave him with very limited options, uh, especially if he wants to, to settle back in the Iberian Peninsula somewhere rather than PSG. Gundogan rumours this morning about uh, negotiations on a new contract. If they did both stay for next season, do we not, for you, do we not need to invest in a an elite midfielder? Or if someone like Bellingham was possible, do we have to go and get him anyway? Oh, lots of questions there. Yes, um, just the seven. <laughs> <laughs> if you could answer them in order, please, that would be nice. Yeah. Okay, uh, so... I think, to try and take them one by one, I think the situation you need clarity on first is Gundogan because he's the one who's at contract. So the, all the risk is on City there by the fact that the player has you know six months left on his deal. So I think they need to get an answer out of him relatively quickly um, and see where that lands. Then then the kind of Bernardo thing, I think, will, will avail itself probably by kind of March time anyway, because that's roughly when players and agents will begin to suss out kind of what, what the options are. Um, I think the, that story out of Barcelona is interesting. Um, and I think for me, kind of watching Spain over over the World Cup, you know, I was thinking, do they need Bernardo? Like they've got Gavi. I know he's got a contract problem himself, but they've got Pedri. Busquets is still going, you know. They've got um, they've got De Jong. I don't know. There's a chance he might leave, but you know, I don't think that's it's not nailed on. It's not like oh my god, there's a massive gaping hole there waiting for Bernardo. Um, and you know, like you say, I don't think there are that many other options. He'll still have two years left in his deal, so someone's going to have to pay a pretty decent fee to get him out of City. So, shall I make a prediction? I mean, Busquets will be 35 in the summer, but yeah, yeah, go on, Asa. Xiao Felix leaves Atletico Madrid and Mendes tries to engineer a move for Bernardo to go there. Maybe, but Bernardo's too good of a footballer to play under Simeone. I, 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 I would have thought he, as a as a player, might have a bit of an issue with that, but well, possibly. So what do you... It'd be interesting to know what you make of... So I, I, under normal circumstances, I would be of exactly the same opinion. However... The thing that really shook me last summer, and it was probably the moment at which I sort of, you know, kind of put a little bit of a black mark against Bernardo's name. Um, we all know Duncan Castles is George A. Mendez's shill, 
right? And Castles did a big story saying that Bernardo was furious that City had outright rejected a bid from PSG towards the end of the window because it was just too late and they weren't ready to sell him. We weren't prepared to sell him that late in the window. That is stood up by, uh, I know, couple of very reliable uh, French journalists who said that one of the one of the first conversations that was had between Mbappe and um, what's his name the new the new sporting director there basically that conversation was Mbappe going I'd like Bernardo Silva here and him going all right I'm going to do my best to bring Bernardo Silva here uh, obviously Mbappe and Bernardo played together at um, at Monaco the sporting director is the guy from Monaco. So I kind of believe that story that, that they came late with an offer and City went no and Bernardo wasn't happy with it. And you know what that tells me? That tells me he doesn't really care where he goes. He, he just, just wants, wants to leave, leave England. Mm. That, and, that, and that really, that doesn't shine a great light on his, I want to be closer to my family. Um, I want to be in a sunnier country because the difference between Manchester and Paris, as you can probably attest, Aeson, it's not that far. <laughs> Uh, I would say I mean, there is a difference, but yeah, not. Yeah, but quite, not, frankly, we're not talking Mediterranean listen, now, are we? Quite, quite frankly, I'd rather live in Manchester than than, than live in Paris. Um, look, I, I, I'm, I, I completely accept that players will want a new challenge, particularly players who aren't from the country that your club is in. So I'm all right with that. Do you know what I mean? Bernardo can can go where he wants. I think the key thing will be having. So, uh, uh, did either of you see the comments from Joan Patsy, Juan Patsy, about Enzo Fernandez? No. No, but he's a player. So, he did a very long interview last week, uh, which all the aggregators had, and he said, um, we considered Enzo Fernandez last summer. Yes, it would have been very cheap. Um, and we considered him because Barcelona had an interest in Bernardo Silva, but in the end, Barcelona didn't come for Bernardo Silva, and so we weren't prepared to sign Enzo, knowing that he had Rodri, KDB, Gundo, and Bernardo in front of him. Now, it's an interesting comment, that, because on the one hand, I was like, all right, I understand that, and on the other hand, I was like, well, Gundo's like 30 odd years old. He's got a year left on his contract. But why wouldn't you do that deal? Well, he was, it was like, it was 10 million euro or something like that. And now they're touting him at 120 million euros to Liverpool. And if you're clinical, we don't, there's no need for Gundogan to go. But if you get, I don't know what, what's his age, Enzo? 32. Oh, Enzo Fernandez? Yeah. 22. 22. Yes, if you're utterly clinical and you get the option to buy him. Then you kind of do say it's a good one. You could be in the squad still, but you maybe, you know, because you're buying someone that's got 10 years, you can get 10 years out of them. Yeah, I just think. Two. So. I think you're absolutely right. And I think for me, what. It, why those comments were interesting and why I'm a bit like, mm, about them is just more, you know. You have to be ruthless in your succession planning and you can be absolutely and utterly besotted with your wife. But if she says to you every three months, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore, you've got to start making plans for what happens next. And I think with the Bernardo situation, it to me, it really feels like weird appeasement to have a player who spent two two summers and four transfer mm. windows desperately trying to leave 
And your reaction to that is to pass up on a generational talent who you're getting for peanuts because you don't want to unsettle the fellow who's already unsettled and wants to mm. leave. Yeah, but it's easy now to say that he's that good. Uh, maybe City were like, well, yeah, he looks a brilliant prospect, but we're not sure. You know, we'll let him well, go. Yeah. get him. Les was calling it, to be fair. I was just about to say, City yeah. should employ Les Owens as, uh, <laughs> as, their, as their scout for the Americas, and they wouldn't have this problem. Well, because... I'm speculating. Maybe they did, they do, did always rate him that highly. But, no, they yeah. do, because they wouldn't have. Like, those comments were very much um built along the lines of we know we knew how good he was it was just a question of there wasn't a place in the team for him mm. so that's why we didn't do that deal that's a shame but, then Howard to come to come back then to your to, to your last question which was like if if for whatever reason Bernardo and Gundogan didn't leave do, would we need to sign someone I think the answer is actually yes um but I actually think because of the ages of uh, De Bruyne is 31 Gundogan's 32, Bernardo's 27. Obviously, they all might tick on a year by the end of the season, but I think the other probably key point to make is I don't think that's going to happen. I, 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 but Bernardo has to leave this summer, really. I think it's just there just needs to be a buyer. Um, I don't think you can let Gundogan and Bernardo leave in the same summer. I think that's, that's, that's too much of a problem. And I, and I really think Guardiola, like Asan said, obsession with number eights I think that's too much feels like too much quality walking out the door unless you signed like Bellingham and someone else who's absolutely excellent but even so it feels like too much churn so I mean I think right now the most likely thing is Gundogan probably signs a short-term contract and Bernardo leaves in the summer Mm. um that feels like the most likely but things will change um and it's uh, the problem for Bernardo is he's still going to have two years left, so someone's still going to have to pay quite a fee. But if PSG, if he's happy to go there, I could see that because I think they, there's a there's a hole in that team where he could play in midfield. And if Bernardo is happy to go to Paris, then you know I don't think money would would, would be a problem. And with enough mm. with enough time from from City's side to plan, you know I could see that. Um, I just really really wouldn't. Like the idea of both Gundo and Bernardo leaving, but I would imagine Pep and the club would have something to say about that. Yeah, I think also I, I think my my feeling on that is very much that I just want us to almost move as if they are both leaving. If that makes sense, mm. you don't have to. In the end, you don't have to close a deal to line a deal up. In football, it happens all the time that you know players think they're going to a football club, and then in the end, the club for whatever reason don't do the deal. Look at Bernardo and Barcelona last summer um, as one example, and I'd just like us to go into the summer with a very clear idea that, or in fact, before the summer, because I think we'll know by April, May with Gundo whether he wants to stay or he wants to go, or in fact, whether we want to keep him or or we want to move him on. And I think that you've got to be prepared to do two if you have to do two. Um, So you're, to clarify, you're, let's say very little happens in January, but either way, January stroke summer, your priorities would be a left back and a central midfielder for this team. I mean, if if I were to get, if if I were to get football manager about it, mm. I'd do a left back in Jan and I'd do two centre mids and uh, a pacey winger in the summer because I think that completes the squad. Thank you. Uh, segwaying 
Pacey Winger was my probably final question. Real Madrid game, the Liverpool game last night, when Kyle Walker is not in the side. Uh, question for both of you, I'll start with you, Lloyd. Do you ever worry about the pace in this side? Do we need more pace in it? Or is it just one of those things? Well, hey. At the back or just in general? Well, yeah, both, in a way. Uh, you've seen the problem when Kyle Walker's not in the side, but I I don't know how much, how important is it in the modern game, to be honest. I mean, Haaland's super fast, but he doesn't need that, does he, to be a success in the role he plays, so. It's important. I mean, look, there's no substitute for raw pace. You know, um, Salah scores so many goals because he gets himself into positions and he just burns burns you off by raw pace. Um, and that's that's why Walker has been a kind of get out of jail free card for us for so many years. And I think actually, towards the end of last season, you really, I think it really kind of shone out to City fans, didn't it? What we're missing when he's not in the team. So. I think when they sign it, when they sign a left back, I say when. Sorry, if they sign a left back, um, that that player should definitely be ideally someone who's dynamic, got some, got a bit of pace. But we definitely do miss an option in attack of someone who can just really break the lines because of raw, because of that kind of raw pace. Um, you know, we're definitely we've definitely got enough options at the moment, um, and you know we've got differences between Mares and you know Phil's got that kind of explosiveness over a short distance. But you do, I think you do need that option in behind. Um, and yes, Holland's very quick, but it's a different it's a different style. I think we need someone from wide that can kind of break the game open. So I agree. I I think we should be looking at someone, and, and when you lose. You know, when you lose Jesus and, and Sterling, that was a lot of what both of them brought to the table. You know, Jesus didn't have kind of blistering pace, but he was very dynamic and kind of very quick across 20, 30 yards. Um, and we, I, I do think we've, we've missed that at points. So, yes, absolutely. Hey, Sam, your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, I, I think, I think we are. I don't think we're a slow team. I think that we have a lot of deceptively quick players. Haaland is obviously rapid. I think KDB is deceptively quick. I think Foden is 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 genuinely quick. Um, but I think the issue for me, certainly, is that particularly losing Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling over a period of time and not replacing those characteristics is you don't have a winger who just feels like a winger, who's just a lad who just will run past you hmm. every day. Um and who that's what he likes to do. We don't really have wide players who like to do that. Guardiola did an interview in Barcelona a year ago, a big sit down thing on a podcast. And he talks about how after fullbacks, the most important players in, in, in the modern game are dribblers, are guys who can take three guys out of the game by just running past them with raw pace. And I think he name checks Sterling and Sane in that interview as to that's what they brought to the side. Um, so I think that that's what we need. I'm completely, I believe the Raphael Leao links, if I'm honest with you, he strikes me as exactly the type of player, the age profile, the quality that he's got that and his, I believe that he's only going to have a year left on his contract this summer coming wow. up. I think that that ticks almost every box for a for a city tapping up job. So 
Liao is the is the guy that I'd be looking at. And again, you know, if Bernardo Silva wants to go to uh, if he wants to go to AC Milan, then we should swap him for for, for Rafael Leao and make it a, a zero sum game. Fair enough. I think that's everything. Oh, we'll come back, obviously. Yeah, to, to Leao's twenty twenty four expiry. January, that was yes, that's uh, interesting. Now, so obviously because of the prices mentioned with him, that that's very important <laughs> to have a year left. It gives a lot of wiggle room in. In uh, negotiations, especially if he says, I'm just not signing a new contract, then that changes a lot, the price you can get him for. So, yeah, interesting. Right. Unless there's anything else you want to discuss transfer-wise, and we will come back to this, of course, with the uh, window opening. I've got a question. Yeah, I've got a question for both of you, just very quickly. Um, Just to kind of circle back to the, the, the Jude Bellingham chat, where do you both stand on his level of talent, the fee, the competition in terms of Liverpool and Madrid, and where City sort of fit into that. Do either of you feel that City will go the Haaland route of staying the distance and going, no, we're just going to, we're going to fight for this player? Or do you think City will do a little bit? Because I think that for me, generally, the the Haalands are the exceptions rather than the rule in how we chase players. The way we tend to chase players is drop them to us. Because if you don't, it's cool, we'll find somebody else. And if they go, well, we're going to talk to Liverpool and and to, to Real Madrid and we'll see, generally City will go, well, now you're all right, we'll go and find another player. Um, and But with Haaland, they stayed the distance. So do you think with Bellingham, they'll go that route? Or do you think they're more likely to go their normal route of as soon as they feel as though it's any type of hard competition they'll just go for someone else I think they I'd like to see them go the Harlan route but I think the fee means that that's more unlikely mm. and I think the Harlan route was a lot easier because we were talking about a fixed fee and yeah okay we had to kind of get into the agent and the Alfie's commission and obviously that was very expensive but realistically end of the end of the day we, we ended up paying probably half the price that we should have for Haaland. I think third. Okay, a third. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think with Bellingham, it's more complicated by the fact that the fee is going to be massive. Um, but the other thing that I think flips it maybe back the other way in that why you have to stay the distance is, is an English player. Um, it's really tough. I mean, I, I'd like to see us stay the distance because I think... Before the World Cup, I, was, I, I thought we almost can't let this guy go anywhere else. You know, he, he looks so good. Every time I've seen him play against us in the Champions League, he looks great. And I've watched a bit of him for Dortmund. And he's, you know, played a little bit for England. Then he played those two games just before the World Cup. And then you see him at the World Cup and you're just like, this guy's like, he's a generational English footballer. He's like a Foden. Like, and so. That's the kind of guy. He doesn't have the technical level of Foden. Sorry, I, I he can't doesn't. Pass. He, he doesn't. But I, I, I think there's more to Bellingham's game that isn't just technique. Though I think mm. Foden's the best technical player that England have produced. You know, probably since I don't know Gaza. Gaza probably. Um, so I don't think you necessarily need to rate Bellingham against Foden technically. But I think Bellingham has obviously got a lot more to his game that isn't just the technique. I think actually in the World Cup you saw physically. You know, he can dominate other players even at the age of 19. I think you saw 
in moments like where Kane missed the penalty. I think when England went through a few tough bits, the guy's acting like a leader already at 19. I think that's something you know you don't necessarily see from Phil, different personalities. I think the way that he just speaks and carries himself, he's clearly someone that's going to have a huge imprint on the game. So I definitely left the World Cup thinking you almost can't let him go to another English club. Um, I think it's it's less of a problem probably if he goes to Madrid, but I think they have to stay the course for Bellingham because the 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 prospect of him rocking up somewhere else is transformative probably for whoever else uh, he signs for. Yeah, all I would add is I don't think the competition is the the key point here. I guess with with uh, transfers like this, the clubs will know, won't they? Soon, January, February, whatever. You know, if he's moving next summer, they'll know who the club is in the way that City were so confident with Haaland. And if it's not City, City will just put out their PR saying, you know, blah, blah, uh, not a priority for us, uh, money, whatever. Yeah. Losing out because of another club, I don't think is the issue. I think the price is not that he's not worth it. Perhaps the fee for Grealish could, could worry them because it hasn't fully worked out. And obviously, I'm not saying Bellingham's the same player as Grealish, or the risk is the same. I think City would pay it. But the other thing that may may be crucial is getting a fee in for Bernardo Silva. So I think the, if it is over £100 million, I think they're more likely to pay it if they've got £60 million in for Bernardo Silva. If no one leaves and they just have to pay out £100 million for to Bellingham, I think they'd be less willing to do that. To be honest, you can't you can't bank on getting a fee for Bernardo. That you have right. to. No, you can't. You well, go, it makes a difference because they're it. always looking at net spend and you know, look at us. We're doing things, uh, you know, getting money in. Perhaps all that money they took in last summer makes everything I said irrelevant, well, and exactly, they have been building yeah. up a war chest just to go and get Bellingham. But I do think it does make a difference that if you get money in, just in their heads more than anything. I'm not talking about. Not for you know, not falling foul of financial fair play or any that. The money should be there for what they did. Their their business last summer. The money should be there, and City shouldn't give a damn what other people say. If they want Bellingham, they should go for him. And I say they'll they'll know the clubs where he wants to go. Pretty way before the summer, I imagine. But it does still make a difference in perception if you sell a, a midfielder for quite a lot of money that you can then go and spend that plus a bit more on Bellingham. I would hope City just go all, all out for him because at his age, it's an investment anyway that, you, that you're getting value for money for in the long term. Mm. No, I see. I do I do take your point. I Personally, I think that they could care less. I think the day they wrote the Jack Grealish check, they pretty much signalled that moving forward, they could care less what people... Made a rod for him back there, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think it's making a rod for their own backs because I think that that it wasn't the kind of the previous narrative and the previous way that they were running things had reached its ceiling. I think at a certain point you have to accept the fact that if you want to win Champions League and win leagues regularly, there will be points, no matter how good your scouting is, where you've got to go out and pay real money for top top players. Um, the fact whether or not Grealish was going to work out was not something we could have known then. Um, and even now we don't know how eventually it will work out. But my point is just more, I think that they were prepared to 
pay that. And that for me was the beginning of, of a kind of, of a slightly different, I mean, we said it at the time, I said it at the time that it felt like a slight shift in, in strategy and Haaland for me continued that because again, how often does City go out and go, right, we'll just take the bona fide superstar that's, that's out there. I think the final thing on Bellingham for me in terms of the cost benefit analysis, look, he's English. If you sign him, you're not selling him for until you're done with him. You see what I mean? Unless he like runs his contract a, down, you're not risking that much because no, exactly. That is highly unlikely he's going to lose value. Let's put it that way. No way, no way. And I think you know, I asked the question at the top: Do you think that City go the distance on this? I think they will. I genuinely think that they're prepared to have egg on their face at the end and lose him to Liverpool or Madrid to make it be known to him: We really want you. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see from the player's point of view how he navigates Liverpool's current league predicament. Because I think the one thing I would say is it was clear with Haaland by, he made his decision in April. Um, it'll be interesting if Liverpool aren't in the Champions League places, whether Bellingham is prepared to make a decision and whether that decision includes Liverpool or whether it rules them out because there's no guarantee of Champions League football. And I do see them as a as a real serious threat for him. Yeah. Definitely, and but uh, that that could swing it. That could be a deciding factor for us for sure. potentially because, well, I mean, why would he, you know, go somewhere where he's not he's not going to play Champions League football? Um, I think it's quite telling the level. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's quite telling that a bunch of stories came out uh, last week that that United are are interested in him as well. Um, I know that Chelsea are, are interested in him as well. I think the reality for Liverpool this season, and this is where I think it's really tricky for them, is it's so competitive in that top six that there's no guarantee. There's ab- I know loads of people are going, yeah, but that season that they had no centre-backs and they were miles behind, and then they ended up uh, they ended up finishing in the top four. That was not competitive in the way that this season is has been competitive and will be i don't see man united falling off a cliff i can't see chelsea getting worse i can only see them getting better spurs under conte are an obdurate difficult team and they managed to finish above arsenal in top four last season so it's not a given by any stretch of the imagination that liverpool get that champions league and if they don't the question is does he want to go there and then the wider question is do their owners are they prepared to shell out whatever it would be required to sign a player like that when you don't have Champions League football? Well, the, the reports that he's said yes to them are, of course, nonsense because he just wouldn't say yes until he knows he's getting no. Champions League football. No, I just, I think... And that, there were ownership issues, of course, with Liverpool and Manchester United that we don't know how they're going to play out in the next six months as well. Absolutely. I mean, new owners will probably make them even more likely to an FSG to go out and sign him, you know, like, uh, you know, bringing the gift to the fans as they take over. Uh, they want to make a, a big star to signing. So, yeah, it may, it, it may make them more dedicated towards signing, you know, Liverpool or even United, though I don't think the Glazers are really selling up anytime soon, to be honest. Uh, it could be a long process if they do anyway. But there's no way he's signing for someone until he knows. And he knows with City and Real Madrid, they'll be in the Champions League next season. He doesn't know that with Liverpool. So, yeah, 
Agreed. We'll see, um, we'll see how it plays out. So Yeah. And if for whatever reason uh, City don't get Bellingham, I'm definitely getting on the uh, Alexis McAllister hype train. I like him a lot. But what, yeah, I'll be watching him in the next few weeks. It's weird how I've not, he's not stood out. Yeah, I've watched quite a lot of Brighton and they're all, across the team, they're an attractive you know, team to watch, as we've said many times, but you know, he's not stood out and I'll be interested to watch him now for the rest of the season. So mm, he, uh, he played as a six for, uh, he's always played as the, the deepest line midfielder or uh, along with plays in that kind of deep two with, uh, with Moses. Cassiedo. Uh, but for Argentina, he was given a little bit more license. He played a little bit more like a number eight. And he really reminded me of Gundo in the best possible way. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you get away from the hype and the kind of big names and you begin, I kind of like to look at characteristics and what do you need if you've got a player who's leaving, what type of characteristics you want to replace his characteristics with. And, and McAllister, I think for me, would be a fantastic replacement for Gundo. As always, I'm wary of players who do well during an international tournament, hence why I'd like to watch him a bit more. We will see. Right, do really have to wrap it up now. We've we've put the world to rights, I think. Hey, son, thank you very much. Absolute on. pleasure, mate. Loved it. That was great. Lloyd, same. Thank you very much for coming on. We're, yeah, that was a great Come chat. Back. Yeah, cheers, mate. Yeah, that is a wrap. I think we've covered everything though fitness permitting as I said earlier there will be a fantasy football pod dropping at some point soon too thanks to all our listeners for your support this year but of course we're not finished for the year there's loads more content coming next week Uh, we do have a great Christmas whatever you're up to yeah next week there'll be previews a lot more besides tons of stuff the football of course is back proper football and there'll be no stopping from us We're all off to ponder the thought that Rico Lewis will forever be younger than Jude Bellingham. So until next time, take care, have a great week, and as always, Asan. Merry Christmas and up the blues.